0: Hello once again and welcome you all to the MindPod. Conversations on mental health brought to you by my Upchar and the Fortis National Mental Health Program. I'm Dr. Sameer Parekh, I'm a psychiatrist and today we talk about a very very important topic, an illness which requires a lot of our attention so that we can all be aware and ensure that timely intervention and support is given to individuals who struggle from obsessive compulsive disorder or also known as OCD. I'm going to be joined by two experts, Dr. Venkatesh Babu, who's a psychiatrist, and Akansha Pandey, who's a clinical psychologist. Both of them practice out of Fortress Hospitals in Bangalore. So, hello to both of you and coming to you, uh, uh, Venkatesh. Help us understand how common is OCD?
1: Hello, everyone. So, when we speak of OCD, Obsessive-Compulsive Disorder, I think the research statistics say that you know it's the prevalence is around 0.5 percent, the six-month prevalence, especially this. I'm speaking about the Indian data, but it's very important to understand obsessionality is a continuum phenomenon. It exists in all of us. Obsessionality as a concept, as as a phenomenon, exists with everyone. When it becomes unregulated and severe enough, that's where the disorder level comes in, and this is. Seen in 1 in 5, that's the number what we are trying to say here. So, one, every 1 in 5 do go through difficulties with OCD.
0: Okay, and adding on to that, if you would also help us understand what exactly is OCD.
1: Now, uh, as I just now addressed, obsession is a disturbance in the thought pattern where obsessions are thoughts which are repetitive, intrusive, that means it comes into your conscious mind even when you don't want to indulge in. It's irrational. After a certain time period spent on these thoughts, we do know that these thoughts are not serving the purpose. They're senseless. And uh, they create a sense of distress, or you may address it as anxiety so these are the disturbances in the thought phenomenon so in short uh, a difficulty in regulating on one's own thought patterns in certain spaces that's exactly is obsession which leads to an anxiety and a person indulges in certain behaviors uh, the most common ones are washing, checking, frequently trying to touch things so these are different kinds of uh, behaviors which are addressed as compulsive behaviors which are in consequence to obsession so Collectively, we call it as OCD, obsessions, which is a thought phenomenon, compulsive, which can be a thought or a motor phenomenon, collectively, an anxiety disorder spectrum.
0: Coming to you, Akansha, on this, uh, taking it forward with what Dr. Pankitesh was talking about. Help us know more about the common obsession that people come to you with, both the common obsessions that you have seen in your practice and the common compulsions that you see.
2: So most common obsessions that we often come across is the obsession of uh, washing, checking, cleaning, uh, obsessions with the of having done something wrong, or I might end up doing something wrong. What if I hurt somebody? What if I harm myself? Or obsessions of you know sexual images, sexual impul- impulses, which are most commonly uh, noted obsessions in a clinical practice that we see. So from
0: a lay person's point of view, how would it feel? to, let's say, have OCD where I am more preoccupied about, let's say, cleanliness. How would it, what would I go through if you could bring in some insight on that, akansha Sir, so
2: it's, First of all, it is very distressing as the word obsessiveness uh, implies, it is very distressing, it is anxiety provoking, it makes the person uncomfortable and before they talk about it or they express it, they themselves go through a lot of guilt and pressure that what are they going through because they don't make meaning out of it initially and they are very much driven to it because it is very, like I said, distressing. So it can be a very uncomfortable experience, they find it difficult to explain it to people and. It is very hard for them to overcome that impulse because it is very intrusive, it is so repetitive that they fight at their own level. I see a lot of, especially children and adolescents, that they try to fight it at their own level but they keep on seeking reassurances and validations from the family members which might lead to a lot of irritation in the family members and they feel more invalidated which triggers their anxiety even more, worsening their obsessions and compulsions in return. So for those who are less sick, it could be like, let's say I'm having an obsession of
0: cleanliness, which basically means I'm constantly thinking and bombarded by thoughts, is everything clean? Am I clean? Are things around me clean? Which give me anxiety. And things which I know are clean, yet because of my obsessive anxiety, I feel the pressure of compulsive behavior of washing, of cleaning. And I might end up spending several hours of my day or several hours of my productivity, my energy into this. And that's what makes this illness. Wherein there is a clear cut impairment happening in my social life, in my productivity and frankly my well-being. Because we are constantly preoccupied about doing something then naturally it's going to take so much energy away from your life. And that is OCD. And like what Dr. Venkatesh said, it's, it's quite common. So it's so important for us to break some myths and stigmas around it and ensure the timely intervention happens. So to start off, let's come to the first one. Um, Venkatesh, help us understand what causes OCD. Because more often than not, and you both would have seen in your practice, you know, people go through criticism um uh, Akansha was talking about shame and guilt. Somebody is reprimanding you, somebody is saying why don't you change? And it's your fault, you don't get it. But what people don't get is that this is an illness. It's not a matter of choice. So help us understand what is it that causes
1: OCD. See, we need to understand everything falls under a continuity. So we need to understand what is this phenomenon? When is it hurting me? OCD can be caused by various factors. It can be genetic, running in the families, that's familial. It can be because of some biological substrate, something coming out of, stemming out of a brain abnormality or some kind of neurochemical challenges, hormonal difficulties going through as a biological phenomenon. Besides this, there are a whole lot of other theories, learning theories, psychological theories, uh, psychodynamic approaches or uh, behavioral approaches. But uh, if I have to shed some light on the biological dispensation, we call something as a basal ganglia and the cortex. So this is a part of the brain. There are certain neural circuits which when impaired, it results in dysregulation of the thought phenomenon. That is, it's like you can think of a television and a remote. There is a remote which will control the television display. Here, the remote is impaired and this phenomenon is what we are trying to speak here there is a dysregulation in the thought phenomenon that's exactly what is the root cause of obsession in neurochemical terms it's called serotonin is the primary culprit the serotonin disturbances in this neural circuits leads to this obsessional phenomenon which are highly dysregulated as a consequence leading to anxiety and the subsequent distress
0: so Therein lies the treatment, isn't it? So when you look at treatment, and I will come to the treatment, to our psychosocial treatment, but talking about biological factors. So a major chunk or let's say a predominant part of the treatment for OCD lies in the biological realm. Would that be the right uh, way to look at it?
1: There are biological substrates and there are, psychological substrate the cause factors here so in order to deal with the overwhelming anxiety we need a medicational support because only when we deal with the anxiety the brain would be possible for reasoning learning or unlearning that is the psychological management right so if my brain is hijacked by anxiety and then let's say dr samir is trying to teach me how to build my thought regulation i don't think i'm going to yield to it because i'm being driven by my anxiety only if you help me with my anxiety i will be open for that learning or the unlearning phenomenon so medication is the facilitating process that's what i i could say it is a facilitating process where it opens up the doors towards solving things but it's a much essential one many a times people who come walk into us say i don't want medicines but unfortunately i would like to say this biology doesn't come with a choice when there is a biological challenge or an insult, Biological correction is the way forward. Once we take that assistance, the biological, that is, medicational assistance, I think we are opening up to the next part that is psychological management, which will be the long-term and the much long-lasting solution.
0: Yes. But some more questions related to the medicines. Is there an age group where you can't give them, children can't take them or senior citizens can't take them? Is there anything like that or is this a myth?
1: It's a wonderful question because when it comes to children, everything is different because much of our studies are largely adult population driven one has an extreme amount of difficulty in understanding OCD in child itself we see a lot of parents bringing in the children saying this child is having different set of problems but eventually it also takes us a huge amount of effort because everybody are cautious enough to put a child under medication but I can say children do respond wonderfully well because they don't even know how to express their distress what they are going through but when the obsessionality is quite alarming the medications do a wonderful job but as a principle i would state it with children we try to see can we manage non medication as a first line if it is very essential then we do consider medicational support besides the psychological management
0: and um good this medicine we stopped let's say if they are started
1: Absolutely, yes, that's exactly what I said. Medication has a particular role to play. Once we initiate with the medications, the subsequent non-pharmacological, that is psychological management, be sometimes with the patient, be sometimes with the family when it it comes to children, involves a strong rate-limiting factor, how well, how effectively we are going to reduce the dosage or maybe going off medicines. And... uh, It has to be seen on a continuum. That's what my first statement was. The medications would be on, they go off. And people can be off medicines for years together. And let's say after a couple of years or a decade later, if there is a situational crisis, it can re-precipitate the episode or may not re-precipitate the episode. But it's largely, if the question is, can they go off medicines? Definitely, yes.
0: So two very important myths busted by Dr. Venkateshia. Uh, Children can also be given medications and medications in OCD are not lifelong as a rule. Uh, Very important for all of you listeners, it should um, encourage us to seek help and seek help at the earliest because timely intervention matters so much. Vengdesh has talked a lot about psychosocial treatment and here I'll come to you Akansha. Help us understand what is psychosocial treatment given for OCD and what types and basic understanding of what exactly would you do here. Because the myths here would be that uh, can I just talk to a friend? Can a parent just talk to their child? Or can I just read about it? And uh, you're also going to talk. So can I just talk to someone else and uh, get the treatment? So that that those myths are also there. So if you could help us understand that what is the intervention that a clinical psychologist like you would do for a clinical condition like OCD
2: So as you mentioned that, you know, we have to look at OCD as a disorder, as an illness. So it definitely goes beyond, I mean, when we are in distress, it's obviously fine for us to talk to our friends, our family members about it, to convey what is distressing us. But when something qualifies to be a disorder or an illness, it definitely requires a clinical intervention. And in clinical intervention, of course, like Dr. Venkatesh mentioned pharmacological, but also the psychotherapeutic intervention is much of help in OCD especially. Now here, if we look at the treatment perspective from psychological perspective, I recommend more of a collective approach because it requires the addressing of the issues that led to the development of OCD and how to also bring about some improvement into the symptomatic profile so therapeutically i recommend that cognitive behavior therapy especially uh, focusing on the exposure and response prevention works the best with the ocd along with the uh, mindfulness strategies positive strategies certain times certain family intervention as well family therapy sessions just so that they can be the right support system to the person now when i talk about the cognitive behavioral uh, therapy here The basic tenet here is that people with OCD often have certain cognitive distortions or cognitive errors, which makes it a repetitive profile for them. So in cognitive behavior therapy, we try to divide it as cognitive therapy and behavior therapy. The cognitive therapy tries working on identifying what are those cognitive distortions or errors that is maintaining the behavior and using the behavior therapy, we also try to work on giving them relaxation training, stress management training, or how they can overcome their anxiety symptoms by relaxing themselves. So it is a combination of both. And when I say exposure and response prevention, sometimes it is very much important to use the systematic desensitization principle, which is where we try to expose the person to the feared stimuli of course in a very controlled and secure manner where the person doesn't feel threatened and then also subsequently train them in certain relaxation mechanics so that whenever they are exposed to that feared stimuli they are able to utilize those relaxation skills in order to calm down their anxiety and that, of course, makes them feel more empowered because now they feel that their anxiety is in their control or at least they can—they don't feel overwhelmed that anxiety is going to do something very catastrophic to them. So, yes. So, basically, overall treatment is about working on to what leads to the maintenance and development of the obsessions and compulsive behavior, followed by the behavioral ways of bringing up relaxation or, you know, how to overcome the anxiety in certain situations.
0: Do people with OCD end up leading normal lives because another myth would be that the illness never goes is that a myth Mm -hmm. is treatment effective
2: so when we look at the treatment side so we don't look at the cure we rather look at the management of the illness and if with the right treatment strategy behind the whole process people can actually lead normal lives yes they have to be taking care of the early warning signs and symptoms they have to be in regular touch with their uh, psychiatrist or therapist and with the proper lifestyle maintenance yes they can definitely lead a very healthy normal lives
0: so what we heard today was that OCD is a common illness and it can happen across the age group. We learned that there is a biological substrate. Venkatesh talked about serotonin imbalance, amongst other factors, the psychosocial as well. We learned about what are obsessions and what are compulsions and the fact that medications are effective and stopped for most people. And that there is a psychosocial therapeutic approach where cognitive behavioral therapy continues to be one of the key approaches worldwide i think the key here is we need to raise the bar of our awareness but awareness needs to also be followed up by access which is available and help seeking behavior where whether it's the individual or friends and family who help the individual go to the right expert Because once we do that, what we are doing is we are saving several life years and several more in terms of quality of life. There is so much stigma around mental health, which leads to discrimination and people not seeking help. Most of it is because we just lack our awareness. And then we are bombarded with incorrect, faulty information. That's why this conversation is important. Because you heard it from the experts. Thank you for joining today. Dr. Venkatesh Babu, Akansha Pandey, colleagues from Fortis Mental Health and Behavioral Sciences at Bangalore. This is the MindPod brought to you by Mayup Char in the Fortis National Mental Health Program. Stay tuned. We'll have these conversations going every time. And next time we are going to have a conversation on panic disorder. Thank you.